Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. another edition of jmu sports news the jmu sports news podcast don't really know where i was going with that the one the only the (laughs) jmu sports news podcast pretty exciting to be here we have a men's basketball team that is trending toward the final four i don't know if you could say that but all right let's see where this goes of the ca conference tournament i think they're a top four caliber conference team but no they've won what is it they've won like eight of their last nine and five in a row yeah i think think. they're five and two in 2021 yeah no i think they're eight and two in 2021 eight and two in 2021 five in a row first time they've won five this is our obligatory first time since (laughs) when this happened first time since when have they won five in a row let alone five conference games i want to say five conference games was like 2010 but i think it's the first six and one start kurt dudley tweeted this since like 93, 94, it was like Lefty was the coach. Lefty Drysdale was the head coach. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I think so. Oh. I should know that being a JMU media member. Um, that <laughs> I, always, I always just see Lefty and I'm like, oh, Lefty. Um, this team is, is pretty darn good. 11 and 5, 6 and 1. Granted, we will say that there are five in a row against CAA teams have been against kind of bottom feeder teams, but it did start against Northeastern, mm-hmm. and there is a Drexel win in there, but there's also two Elon yeah. wins and a Towson win. So take it with a slight grain of salt, but we're ready to say on record that this team's good and this team is a CAA contender, and this weekend's Hofstra series is going to be ginormous. I wrote about it on jmusportsnews.com, did a full preview, and – Bennett, I'm going to share with you what I found in that research, and then I want you to react to it. (laughs) Hofstra is a bad defense. Pretty solid offense. Three guys uh, scoring in double figures. They have a lot of offensive weapons. They can put it up, but they have a very porous defense. And I think because they play a zone defense, Matt Lewis, it forces the shooters to shoot and to make their shots. And Matt Lewis has, has historically been very good against Hofstra. And this guard play, I think that JMU has, is the perfect kind of um, difference maker, I guess you could say, against the Hofstra defense. And I think we're going to see a lot of guard play. The experienced backcourt of Hofstra against the dynamic backcourt of JMU is going to be electric. And I think this series is going to be a lot of fun. And I think JMU can easily split it, if not sweep it. 
Yeah, I think it'll be a good series. Um, I guess for me, I'm, I'm hoping they can pull off the split. I don't necessarily think they'll they'll go in and sweep it. I think they have a chance to, but I think a split would be be solid here. Hofstra is certainly not a good defensive team. They're not the worst defensive team in the conference, looking at some Ken Palm stuff in terms of what they've done in CAA play. They lead the conference in steal percentage, which is interesting. Uh, but when you get a shot off, it, it tends to go down against them. It, so they're not. Their defense is not the best. I mean, especially play. I just think it, it fits really well with what JMU does. With JMU is not an interior presence. They're, they pass the ball around the outside. And from all of the – I didn't watch any film on them. I was just stat looking. And from the stats, it, it really just appears that they give up shots from the outside and they tend to go in because there's probably some distance between defense and the shooter. They struggle a bit pretty much everywhere on defense, aside from like creating steals. And I guess they don't foul a lot. Um, but typically if you see the the rates that you see there where they struggle on on so many different defensive categories and they don't foul a lot, to me that's more of like – they might not even be close enough to foul in some cases. Um, so they haven't looked great. They are pretty solid offensively. CAA play, they're the second most efficient offensive team um, in the conference. So they've, they've done some nice things there. They can score the ball a little bit. But, yeah, it's the kind of matchup that I think um, is more favorable than, like, a Northeastern series, right, where they're a really gritty defensive team and JMU's kind of got to get down and find ways to score. I think yeah. if you're in some sort of shootout type thing, to me, that's exactly what JMU loves. Yeah, and – I mentioned how the guards are going to be a really fun kind of kind of position group to watch the experience of Hofstra. I mean, they have what it's Tariq Coburn and Jalen Ray in the backcourt for Hofstra, both, I think four year guys, maybe one of them's a redshirt senior, but both can really fill it up and, and make a stat sheet look really nice, but kind of maybe a secondary matchup to watch. And this one's going to be Isaac Conte. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. K-A-N-T-E Conte. And Justin Amati, that's going to be a huge one. Conte is one of the best rebounders in the CAA, and he's one of the best offensive kind of big men. He, too, like Amati, is a 6'7", forward, center, 4'5", type. So seeing what he does against the inexperienced Amati, I wouldn't be surprised if Conte goes up into him hard and often early on in this one to try and get Amati into foul trouble. Um, Conte's kind of the more savvy, the older one that's – I wouldn't be surprised if they start feeding him early on just to try to get that interior presence going to pull in the defense and then allow Ray and Coburn to kind of do what they need to do from the outside. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, They're, they're a good team. They're exciting. They can do some things. It's a test. It's certainly more of a test than Elon was. So looking forward to seeing what happens. I think also the other thing that, that bears mentioning is Jamie's defense has gotten so much better. Yes, please talk the, about this. I need that, you, you've been the you've been the most critical one on JMU's defense probably throughout this season out of everyone. So I want you to talk about what you see out of this JMU defense now, especially since you know you cover UVA for a living and their defense, their Mister Defense. So break down what you see out of this JMU defense and what gives you hope. Well, we had said early in the year that they were moving their feet. They had active hands. They were doing things, and it, it wasn't necessarily working, but the energy was there. I think now they're more consistently in the right places. They're forcing three-point jump shots, and they've allowed a pretty low three-point shooting percentage from opponents. Is that because JMU is really good at defending the three? Is that because CAA teams suck at shooting? Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> I don't think it's just great three-point contests, but they've done a better job defensively. They force some turnovers because they have quick hands, active hands. 
they're kind of playing like early in the year we talked and we said they were a small ball lineup who can't play small ball. Now they're a small ball lineup that I think is very much learning how to play small ball. And some of this too is, is you mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. Um, they've gotten some contributions from some guys in the post that maybe we didn't expect or, or weren't happening early in the season. So like Zach Jacobs has come in and given them legitimate minutes sort of in that forward spot. So I think those contributions plus some of the guards stepping up, Terrell Strickland's been awesome for them. I think that's all really valuable. So they're getting better defensively. And part of that is because guys know their roles. They're filling those roles well and playing at a higher level. So it's exciting to see a team that is trending in the right direction. Still a long way to go if you look at the, the analytics and things like that. But they're in the mix in a bad conference, which is kind of just what we've asked for for the last four years. And honestly, isn't it kind of fun that this team has a lot of room to grow analytically? And this is very beneficial to the way their their CAA schedule is kind of laid out and how it has kind of how the chips have fallen as time has gone on. But it's very beneficial that this team analytically isn't amazing and they have a long way to go analytically. But on the court, they're I keep forgetting they're six and one on the court in conference play top of the CAA. That's pretty, pretty great. Yeah, I mean, they're close. They need Northeastern to, like, drop one or something, but they're close to sneaking into, like, bracketologies. Um, I think I was talking uh, with someone earlier, um, and they got into, like, Jerry Palm, but, like, via typo, which was cool. So <laughs> I think he accidentally... Wait, how do you get into Jerry Palm via typo? He accidentally listed them over Northeastern. I think he ended up fixing it. I think he might have thought JMU was in front, and then he accidentally had JMU in the, the last four in, which was definitely a mistake. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know that net ranking at what 133 as it continues to fall. They were like next to North Carolina and like someone else. And they were ahead of VCU. <laughs> it was awesome. It didn't make any sense, but um, <laughs> it's cool to see them sort of in a like NCAA tournament discussion and like, Oh wow, this team might be able to win the conference tournament. And I think being at home for the conference tournament, again, you have to not get COVID, but being at home, I think even without a crowd is, is very beneficial. Just the fact that they could be comfortable and, and things like that. So if they can get there into the conference tournament, it'll be fun. I think they'll have a shot. They're getting better. And like you said, they're getting, you know, they have a lot of room to improve and they pretty much return everyone. I think we're right, except, except Lewis, probably. Uh, you might get Jacobs back if he wants to use extra eligibility. I was going to say, in theory, they could return this entire team and just run right. that. But Matt Lewis is most likely going to declare for the NBA draft. And you asked me at the beginning of the season if Matt Lewis had, an, had any shot at getting drafted, I probably would have said no. But just his play, he's done exactly what the NBA scouts told him to do, which was be more efficient of a shooter and turn down and, and bring down your turnovers. They probably also kind of said, let's see you on defense a little bit more. And he's checked all those boxes. He's one of the most efficient scorers in the CAA, leads the CAA in scoring. One of the best assist to turnover ratios. I think he's number three in the CAA behind um, actually a Hofstra guy. We're going to see two of the best assist to turnover ratio kind of players in this Hofstra matchup this weekend. So that'll be fun to watch. Um, but I lost where I was going with that one. Matt Lewis is a good player. He's, he took his game to another level this season. That's been huge in how JMU is sitting at six and one in conference play. And I do, you mentioned Zach Jacobs in my tweet yesterday. I do just want to shout out, shout Zach Jacobs. I was kind of, I don't know if I was low on him on necessarily the podcast, but definitely in my text to Bennett, I was not a Zach Jacobs believer. But seeing just how he's like evolved in this role, he knows his role coming off the bench, sopping up minutes and meaning and, and doing meaningful minutes. He's, he's making points. He's, he's pulling down rebounds. He's gritty on the inside. 
it used yeah. to be when Zach Jacobs was in, he was kind of almost a liability on defense and offense. Like he would just jack up threes randomly. But now he knows his role, it seems like. And he's probably one of the most pivotal members coming off the bench. And when he comes off the bench, you know he's going to produce at least a little bit, whereas years past and even early on in the season, you, he was a liability. I think what stands out the most to me is is looking at his stats the past few seasons for JMU. He shot at least 26 three-pointers in his first three years. And he never shot over 28%, never shot over 27% actually from three-point range. This year he's 0 for 6. Obviously that's that's <laughs> not great, but I think the fact that he's only taken six yeah. to me, and he's like gone to the, the post in the last few games and gone to like a hook move it shows someone who's like, you know what, maybe I'm not a three-point shooter. Maybe I'm someone who can score down low, get rebounds, and fill my role. And and that is so important. I think he's done that really well. He's been a better rebounder and willing to throw his body in there. I think he's been super helpful and someone who is beneficial when he's on the court. So good for him for sort of embracing a different role. Yeah, and like we said, JMU takes on Hofstra this weekend. Uh, first game is on Saturday on Flow Hoops and also NBC Sports Washington. Tip-off is 2 p.m., right? I have no idea. That sounds let me, right. Look at, let me look at the I have yeah, it up. Two, Yes, 2 p.m. Both days. Game sponsor for the first game, off-campus housing. Second game, right. Virginia Lottery. So keep, <laughs> okay. keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And go ahead and go over to jamiesportsnews.com to check out our latest preview on this one. Um, a lot of EPR talk, effective possession ratio. Bennett doesn't let me talk about it on the podcast Nerd. because he doesn't understand <laughs> what EPR is. But in those previews, I love diving into what effective possession ratio is and how it will impact this game. So go to jamiesportsnews.com to check that one out. And um, if you love EPR, effective possession ratio, let us know on Twitter at News. Um, that way Bennett will let me talk about it more on the podcast and he won't laugh at me when I bring it up. Yeah. And for you non-basketball nerds, I wrote something without any fancy schmancy numbers about whether no advanced analytics on how (laughs) a 40% three, 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 get three point shooters, the same as a 70%. (laughs) No, but I, I wrote a little something as well. So we had, we had a weird, you know, surge of content, which for us is, is rare given our actual work schedule. So (laughs) there is stuff on our website. I think we'll have more too. I got to do some voiceovers today for, uh, for those football previews too. We'll get to more football in a bit, but let's do a quick women's talk. They played today when we're recording this, we recorded it just after uh, the team lost to Towson 83 to 74. Kiki Jefferson had 29 and 10, but they gave up 31 to Kiana Jeter end up losing by nine, despite leading 16 to five early. So not their best showing, but Towson's a pretty good team. I think Towson's won five in a row in the conference now. Yeah. Towson's a top team in the CA women's basketball conference. JMU has its good days and its bad days, and today was a bad day. Um, and how many turnovers? 19? 19. And when they were trying to get back into the game late, they were down seven, dribbling down the court, and an illegal screen was called, which was their 19th turnover of the game in probably one of the worst moments. The game, there was like 35 seconds left, and if they hit a three there, things are completely different. But an illegal screen was called, and that was the game. And perhaps most notably, Towson also had 19 turnovers, but Towson had 14 assists. Jack, give me a guess. How many assists do you think Jamie had today? Seven. Five. That's not winning basketball, Bennett. That's a terrible assist to turnover ratio. Five to 19. Not good at all. It's like a one to four. 
right? That's that's not what you're looking for. Hey, but Kiki was great. Kiki's, Kiki was great. Kiki's fun. Important to remember that the nucleus of this team is basically freshmen and sophomores. Peyton McDaniel's been out for the last few games. She's one of the best scorers on the team. So they're kind of going through some stuff, trying to get better, and, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes. They did finish pull off a weekend sweep finally against Elon uh, previously the last weekend. Then they obviously had that tough road test against Towson where they lost. So they got Delaware and Drexel at some point here at the end of the season. They've got Hofstra this weekend too, but they'll be at Hofstra. So we've got a little... Uh, doubleheader action there with the men as well both games for the men and the women obviously are at two o'clock because why, why else would it, why would it be a two-hour difference why would the men tip off at noon and the women tip off at two or vice why that just makes too much sense it's absurd what the <laughs> conference has done to make it so you cannot watch the men and the women at the same time but then they um, sign a they sign a, a tv deal with flow sports where i have to pay 7.99 a month but they don't allow me. Perhaps the best thing here, someone had tweeted this at us that I don't think you can watch it on different devices either. I think, yeah. So I think you have to have it in two tabs, which is horrible. I've tried it. I have too. I've, I have bet a lot of CAA games on, and they all tipped it too. (laughs) And I had about four tabs open and I was watching each one. And I just do for the best. They didn't cover by two. For the bets, I, I just five use. CIA <laughs> I try for the bets to just use stat broadcast because when I actually watch some of these major teams like below very easy opportunities to cover, I get too upset. So when I see it on stat broadcast, I'm like, oh, I'm sure they try their best. <laughs> oh, man. All right. After some basketball talk, it's what everyone came to this podcast for today. It is our mega softball preview. That's <laughs> <laughs> so rude to softball. <laughs> I would do that instead of football, dude. I would prefer that. It's just not why people came here. I love the softball team. I'm stoked about the softball schedule. Well, we'll have a, a little plug here for future podcasts. Probably next week we'll have Nick Stevens on to break down the Dynasty yes. Dukes with baseball, and that will also be our softball preview. So they, play, they start the season in Charlottesville, so uh, maybe I'll find my finagle my way into the into the press box. Okay, perfect. So as I was saying before Bennett tried to tried to hijack this over to softball land, it is time for our Mega Football Preview. We broke all the stats from last season down. We are ready to bring you what we expect from the JMU Dukes this season. Cole Johnson is slated to be the starter. No wide receivers that had a, in, an actual impact on the team last season are returning. Linebackers return almost no one there. Team's kind of depleted, uh, but they're number four. <laughs> okay, no, they're not. I don't know why. <laughs> You're going in on those guys who are backups. <laughs> They've got no, there's, nobody. A, there's still a lot of great talent on this team. If you ask me, I think it's kind of a snub to have them ranked at number four across all the preseason polls. Heroes points. Everyone. Everyone had them at four. Every I, I've only seen four. heroes. I didn't even see the other preseason polls. They all had them at four, and I don't really? get it. So I guess we'll jump into that first. Where okay. do you? What's your preseason ranking for them? Number one, baby, go Dukes. No, I think I get four because um, the but, last but, time they – But behind Weaver State and South Dakota State? I have no idea who those teams return. Exactly. I imagine they return good players. I'll be honest with you. My <laughs> <laughs> my yeah, FCS know knowledge either. right now is low. I know North Dakota State doesn't have Trey Lance, and that gets me stoked. They've got that, like, Nolan kid who transferred from Iowa State. I think he's probably their starter. Um, he's no Trey Lance, tell you that much. So that's exciting. No future uh, Detroit Lion Trey Lance. I think there's 
I don't know if they'll get him, man. I don't know if I'll be there at seven. And there's some rumors they won't be interested in the QB. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I'm excited for this team. I do think there are, if you're a pollster, maybe you have some doubts. The last time JMU like returned returned a bunch of talent that was unproven, right? These guys were backups that were supposed to be good. They went out and they ended up losing that season. Uh, in the second round of the playoffs, they lost to Colgate that year. I think we all remember it vividly. I guess um, that was I, – I guess – that was the last year they didn't have like a returning like big names. Yeah. So I think that's probably why maybe there's a little hesitancy and hesitancy, like they're still in the top five. So I get it. And I think, I think uh, some of the FCS people know more about this individual talent. They kind of fall in love. Not, not that there's anything wrong with it, but with some of the guys at like South Dakota state and Weber state, even though they've sort of yet to prove that they can win it like a semifinal game and actually be deserving of the shade of being well the last few years i mean you look at like they south dakota state's been good enough i think some of these times i thought south dakota state was good enough to beat jmu and they turned the ball over 10 times 10 times in a football game that wasn't a peewee pop warner game how do you turn the ball over 10 times i did think i i think i remember i i picked south dakota state to win that game and it was a reasonable pick like they just came off the barely beating weber state but like weber state i don't know like talk to me when you have a quarterback I've yet to see a, like a guy there who's particularly scary. Like all these programs are good. I think my thing is just like, I, I think North Dakota state earns the number one spot every year because people are like, you know what they've shown yet to show me anything else. And I think JMU is close to getting there for number two. I think maybe that Colgate season is why people are like, you know what I'll stick him at four. Yeah, that makes sense. So I agree. I, I would have put them at two personally, just because like coming off a national championship, mm-hmm. And I think I think by the end of the season they're going to be number two. Like there was a lot of talk on FCS Fans Nation and other like um, kind of Facebook groups like that about how JMU might not even get a seed because they play such a weak schedule. No, the name itself is going to like if JMU goes eight and zero this season and is six and zero against conference teams, they're going to be a top four seed easily. If Weber State and South Dakota State don't lose, then they're probably going to remain at that four. But I'm also going to say Weber State and South Dakota State always lose games they shouldn't lose. Like, and that's also why I think that JMU should be up there. But like you said, last time they were bringing in a new quarterback, they lost to Colgate, which is a terrible way to end your senior year at James Madison. Yeah, that was that was definitely a tough one. It's also a terrible way to start your freshman year. Or is that you? My JMU career was booked. Oh, it was bookended by Colgate losses. <laughs> With two national champions. Colgate L, national championship win, national championship loss, Colgate L, national championship loss. How does that pattern work for this year? When is the next Colgate loss? Tech, the next Colgate loss would be not this year, but next year. That's going to hurt. Yeah. Get ready. Get ready, JMU fans. <laughs> Get ready for another Colgate loss in 365 days. All right, so we got a lot of content. We got a lot of stuff we're going to kind of try to go through. Jack, do you have a preference? Do you want to go offense, defense, special teams? Do we want to just get into these big-time questions? Let's just jump into the questions, and then the right. the kind of previews will parse themselves out from there. All right, we got a hit. Quarterback, you mentioned it. Cole Johnson, all the reports from Greg Medea, TJ, all those guys. Kurt Signetti has basically said that Cole Johnson is the leader in the clubhouse. Every indication is that he will start game one. Unless there's like a COVID thing, um, but it, it pretty much seems like he's starting against Morehead State. So he, he, you know, he starts his career, his starting. I guess he started once in his career, but his his official first season as 
the starting quarterback. He's going up against a vaunted Moorhead State defense. <laughs> now, what do you expect from Cole this season, and, and what do you think about Cole over Gage? Cole over Gage was, I mean, as much like as 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 much as we put stock into Gage and kind of at least me talked him up over Cole. I do think it was always Cole. Like Gage would have had to ball out in spring practice. I put quotes yeah. around that for our podcast listeners. I don't really know what you would this this weird practice. He would have had to ball out in the off season. And it, Cole was always kind of that clubhouse leader from the jump. So I'm not surprised by this at all. Cole has a good arm. Cole has some mobility to him. He had a rushing touchdown last season. He's had the experience. He's He's been kind of that, um, that ro- not rotational guy, but kind of like the relief pitcher in blowouts. And he's been the, the starter when injuries happen and then things shake out like that. So I, I think no surprise there. And I think he, he'll be a good quarterback. Yeah, I think that's kind of my take, too. With this schedule, I think you can be a game manager and be fine. So as long as he doesn't make, you know, terrible mistakes, JMU should be able to win games. And if he ends up playing at an all-conference level, then I think JMU sort of takes that step to being a legit national title contender. So I'm excited to see how he does. Um, I'll give JMU Sports Blog a plug. They had Greg Medea on. They had a really great preview podcast. I didn't finish the whole thing. But from what I got through, it was really good with Greg, and he had mentioned um, that maybe Gage Maloney wouldn't have too much of a package just because you want to keep your backup healthy um, in any way possible with COVID. Um, totally understand that logic. I hope and kind of still think they might have a short yardage thing, especially as the season goes on for Gage. I think a goal line thing using him almost like Tim Tebow, which is way too easy with like the number and left-handed comparison. But like, you know what I'm going for, like a, a bulldozing quarterback who can just take it out of the shotgun and have a short yardage package. I think that makes sense for him. And I think Cole Johnson gives this team a better passing threat downfield and probably with accuracy, that's going to go well with the fact that they're going to be a run first team. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the stats from last season because I was thinking how important, and this might sound just blasphemous, but how important is the quarterback position for this JMU football team? Because they have four running backs coming back, Juwan Hamilton, Percy, uh, Latrell Palmer, Solomon Van Horst. They even have Austin Douglas, who's moved to cornerback for times last season. But they have four really great guys returning. And so my thinking was, how important is this quarterback position? Does it really matter who the starter is? So I look back at last season, I was looking at how many times they attempted more than 25 passes um, in a game. And 50% of the games, they attempted 25 passes or more and the rest they attempted 24 or less. So it's just very interesting that it's kind of a 50-50 split. It was kind of an interesting games, like William and Mary, they threw it 32 times or something like that, which was just very interesting. But that all goes back to my point. I don't think necessarily it matters as much, but I think it is more important to have Cole back there who can throw it and can air it out and just to – so when you're running it 50 times a game and they're stacking the box with eight, nine, 10 men, or in the case of army, there's all 11, all 22 guys are within a five yard box. Yeah. Um, I think if you have cold out there, it forces the cornerbacks and, and the safeties to, to stay at home a little longer and, and to respect the pass more. It's interesting. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And I think looking at last year, like it was obviously a run first team, but they were able to make some, some really big plays. You look at, the Stony Brook game last year 
Um, that's a game where I think we maybe wanted them to to throw it a little more. I guess they only threw it, looking at the stats, they only threw it 17 times in that game, but it went for 218 yards, able to get some big plays. So it was a 56 runs, 17 passes. But a lot of those were Danucci scrambling on pass plays, and like they really needed the offense to get going uh, to sort of help them finish out the win because the defense was struggling a bit. So you got to be as, as balanced as you can. I think the eight-game schedule is pretty weak. When you get into the playoffs, you want to have a quarterback who can stretch the field and make you balance. I think Cole's the guy. So I like the decision there. I think he's been around a while too. So just from that perspective, I like that he's earned the chance. Like he didn't have to redshirt that that one season when they did lose to Colgate. Um, he decided he wanted to because he wanted to sort of stay around as long as possible to eventually be the starter. And boy, has he waited a long time. Uh, you kind of feel for him though don't you because when you thought it was his time and and then Ben transfers and Ben was electric and took the job over him and and then you think Cole's going to start in 2020 and then COVID happens and now he's in 2021 he'll be there for a long time and he gets this year of eligibility back right he could play in the fall yeah so he could he could certainly play in the fall of 2021 after also playing in the fall as a freshman in 2016 so the dude has wow. been around the block. He's been around for a really long time. So good to see him with this opportunity and also exciting for him. I don't think there's a better situation that you could come into as a starting quarterback than what JMU has in terms of really good offensive line, really good running backs. I like the receivers. We'll talk about them in a minute. Um, but the fact that like he can turn around and hand it off 50 times, and they're probably still going to win the game. Yeah. You brought up receivers. Let's dive into that now. The question here, who can step up with Polk, Stapleton gone, and Stapleton, tight end Stapleton? We can even dive into some tight end talk here. Who do you think is going to step up? Are you worried about the receivers at all? I have a very – I have a take on this, I think, that we disagree with, but I kind of will contradict myself when I answer this question. But I want you to dive into this to set me up because I want want to just completely take you out with my answer. (laughs) This is very, <laughs> very nice setup there. So they've got Scott Bracey's the, Duke, the Duke transfer at wide receiver graduate transfer, did some nice things at the power five level. I think he'll be involved. Kendall Dean is a player I really write, like Devin Ravenel, according to Greg Medea, has had some some solid things in camp. They've also got Wells Jr. No, that's not who it was. Who was it? Who's the VMI guy? I thought it was Wells. Sims? No, they don't list it correctly. That's irritating. Maybe it was Wells. I think it might be Wells. Let me double check. That's... Transfer from VMI? Yeah. Where did Jake Brown transfer to? I think he might have went like a D2 or something. But Oh, sorry. It's Chris Thornton's. The um, I really had those names backwards. Chris Thornton's the VMI transfer. I'm pretty sure he was like, yeah. He had 87 catches in 2018 for them for 1,000 yards and four touchdowns. He averaged 91 yards a game. Wow. It's like... So Sneaky, he, I believe he sat out, yeah, he redshirted in 2019. So he's been, like, in the program kind of a really long time. Doesn't like, that stink completely to yeah, derail yeah. your question? Like, he sits out that season expecting, like, just this is just to go to show how terrible this pandemic is, not only in our daily lives, but for these student-athletes. You sit out 2019 thinking you're going to play in 2020, and then 2020 is canceled, and then – you don't have to technically re- like he redshirted that like oh, that must just be he's been sitting out for so long it's really tough so i mean there's going to be some adjustments there as they get used to to game flow and everything like that but i think once he gets going he'll be good 
I like Dean. I like Bracey, the transfer. Devin Ravenel apparently has done some nice things. So you got like four guys there that I really like. I, I always like Josh Sims. I've liked him in the slot for a while. I don't know how much playing time we'll get. In tight ends, you mentioned him. Clayton Cheatham, apparently he's getting healthier. Uh, Corey, that's what Greg Medea said that on the Jamie Sports Blog podcast. Again, going to plug them big time. I thought they had a really good pod. But Clayton Cheatham's getting healthier. They have the North Carolina transfer tight end too in Noah Turner. So I think there's enough there that they'll find a way to contribute. Is it going to be the same in terms of individual talent like a Stapleton and a Polk? Probably not. But I think the production could be there just a little more balanced out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of agree with the, the overall premise. I think they have a lot of talent at this position. Um, you mentioned it, but also like Daniel Adu's coming back, Kendall Dean, Ravenel, Sims, all of them. You mentioned every single one. And then to add in Scott Bracey, I just want to say about Clayton Cheatham while you bring him up. Uh, that man's Mr. Touchdown. I didn't realize he machine, had dude. one catch last season. Guess how many touchdowns? One. One. His freshman year, there was one point where he had four catches through like the first four games of the season, four touchdowns. Um, but he's been kind of hampered by weird injuries and then got buried on the depth chart. And then we really haven't seen him since Stapleton kind of took his spot for two years. And so Nick Carlton kind of buried him a little bit, but Nick Carlton's no longer with the team. And it's kind of the Cheatham show with the Noah Turner, um, Noah Turner transfer. But I just want to point this out. They lost a lot, a lot of yardage from that senior class. Sorry, I was trying to figure out which one was it. 76.5% of all yardage gained by wide receivers and tight ends in 2019 were done by graduating seniors, mostly by Stapleton, Stapleton, and Polk. They're returning 23.4. I know this doesn't add up exactly to 100%. I There's some rounding errors. 23.4% are returning 71.4% of the senior touchdowns left and only 28.5% are returning. So they're the hardest hit uh, position group across offense and defense of losing um, yards and touchdowns from their seniors. So it's going to be a huge tall task for these guys. Lots of talent across the board, lots of guys, but they just lost a lot of production. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt they're losing two guys who are really, really good. Um, and three, if you include, I guess, both Stapleton brothers were were pretty darn productive over their time there. So I get that. And then even Jake Brown leaving um, is a little yeah. bit of a blow because he was actually, I think he had the fourth most receptions on the team behind mm-hmm. those three seniors. So that one hurts. Um, but what I will say is like Brandon Polk, like nobody had any idea what he would be before the season in 2019, I guess it was, right? Is that the yeah, that's a very good – and like Scott Bracey too, like JMU's kind of made – we talk a lot about the the QB FBS transfers to JMU. We don't talk a lot about the wide receiver transfers, and they've had a pretty um, solid track record with them. Terrence Alls, Alls. Uh, Brandon Polk. I think there was another one from UVA. Eldridge? Yes. Eldridge yes. was from UVA. And now Scott Bracey, and I already forgot the VMI transfer, even though he's not an Thornton. FBS. Thornton. Yeah. And he's playing a schedule, at least the first couple games, like that's pretty much a VMI kind of teams, right? They're not going up against, you know, world beaters here on uh, the first few games. So I think he's got a chance to be really productive. I mean, they've just got guys that I think will step in and be fine. But yes, it's a very good point to say, hey, like we've assumed in the past that they would just sort of come in and replace it. And it hasn't always worked like that. And they're replacing a lot. Stapleton, Stapleton, Polk, Brown, like those guys were the receiving 
threats. Uh, I guess the only interesting thing is it, it feels like that was like seven years ago um, with all the COVID stuff. So like they've been practicing with this group for a really long time. Like they yeah. went after it in the fall, even though they weren't playing. And then they've also had spring. So I think if there is a benefit, it's like the chemistry should be there a little bit because of they've just practiced a ton. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. It's just it's a good point. My, my the thing that gives me hesitancy, and I think we'll also talk about this a little bit more when we rank our position groups in order of confidence. But just what gives me some pause is that there are all of these guys that we list that we're like, these guys are going to be good. Ravenel, Sims, Adu, Kendall, D. like I think there's four or five or six guys that were like they can be good, and four of them have been in the program for like three years, and maybe it's because they're pushed down on the depth chart. But you think if they were really like high quality receivers they would have worked their way up the depth chart and had more production at some point in their careers but all of them have always had this kind of air of they're going to be great and maybe this is their time maybe they just didn't have opportunities leading up to it and now they have their opportunity and they're going to ball out i'm just hesitant to to put so much stock and so much value into potential especially with a team that's going to be running it 50 times but that brings us to the next position group, running backs. Yeah, the running backs are loaded, and I think the running backs will t- definitely take away. I'm not expecting any of these receivers to be like necessarily thousand all, yards. Yeah, all, all, a thousand yards like Polk God or, or all Americans or anything like that, just yeah. because they run it so much. But I think there's enough depth there that hey, if three of the six we listed pan out, they're in pretty good spot. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, you mentioned the running backs; they got about 33 of them that are pretty good. Um, I don't know how they're going to split the carries, man. There's so many running backs that are all really good. Latrell Palmer, obviously the really talented youngster. Percy, I think is kind of an NFL prospect, right? If he puts up a lot of stats, maybe he's got a chance to sort of sneak in in the mix. That's like, well, I don't think he'll get drafted, but like you see these undrafted guys come out all the time. And is he any worse than James Robinson at Illinois State? I don't think so. Is he any worse than David Johnson, wherever he went to school? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to not the, I just wanted to name it. Well, I think he can, I think he's a guy. He like I don't think he'll get drafted cuz like running backs first of all shouldn't be drafted, but if they do get drafted, the Lions are going to draft one. They're going to draft them in like the power 5 guys typically. It's really hard to be an FCS running back. I would say it's probably the hardest position to get drafted. Um so it'll be tough for him to do that, but he's a guy I think could could at least get tryouts and things like that. He's that good. Juwan Hamilton was a legit contributor at UCF, and then they've got Palmer. Like, there's a three-headed monster in the back. I'll say Juwan Hamilton probably has more of a shot at getting drafted That's fair. or getting a, a shot. I didn't realize this. Percy is not a receiving back. When he is in the game, it is run first. I think he had 19 total receptions last season, which isn't a lot. How many times did they throw it to the running back, though? Van Horst had, I think, I think Van Horst had more reception. Well, I think they're using him in the slot now. So he's like barely even running back, which makes oh. sense. Cause they want him to be, I think it'll be slot. They were saying, Greg Medea was saying, um, and also kick return. So Van Horst is one that I think they really like, but I don't know if he can break into that like three headed thing. So they're going to have to be like super creative with him. And, and Van Horst is a kind of a very similar skill set to what Jawan Hamilton is. Is he more of like a speed scat back type of thing? Yeah. So, like, you, you wouldn't push Jawan out for to give Van Horse carries. And, like, Percy is just an every-down monster of a back, and Latrell Palmer is just a pound-in-your-face, just again-and-again again type of back. Uh, but, yeah, running backs, I want to – this this position group is it's so stacked, it is just not even funny. They lost 24% of senior yards. They lost 24% of their yards 
which I'm pretty sure almost all of those were Ben DiNucci scrambles. That would make sense. Uh, but so they're returning 75.5% of their total yardage in the running back group. And then percentage of touchdowns, they lost 21%, and they're bringing back 79% of their touchdowns. Percy got in the end zone 19 times, so I want him to be Detroit Lion one day. I love Percy. I'm big on Percy. His yards per carry last year I always thought was low. It was only 4.7. So I think that's one that can get up a bit. I think some of that was because they were just like would run the ball over and over. I was going to say, I think Percy's was so low because he wasn't – if I remember correctly, he didn't have many – touchdown rushes of 20 plus yards he was the longest run of the season was 37 yards yeah like he was a very just and latrell palmer i don't know how he did it because he's a very similar running back in terms of hitting the a gap and just like holding on to the ball and hoping for four yards and he would just bust out for 100 yards in a game and you'd blink your eyes and you're like how did this happen um yeah, that's my take on the running backs. They're loaded, they're stacked, and they have a whole stable of running backs. It's, it's just insane. And one of the most important things for running back is the offensive line. They return a ton on the offensive line. They're really experienced there. Fornado is the name that always gets mentioned, along with Mike Green on the defensive line for NFL, probably the most legit NFL draft, draft prospects of this current team. So Fornado's really good. I think he's a guy who could eventually get drafted. Nick Kidwell I really like. Stanley Hubbard, the UConn transfer, I think, has a chance to, to mix in. I was hearing JT Timming was getting in the mix. Sounds like JT Timming might be the starting center. I believe that's correct. For five years. And Raymond Gillespie is another guy who it seems like at least he's put on some pounds. He was always, like, pretty solid, had some really good length. His arms are really long, and I think he's up near 300 pounds now. So he's another guy who could mix in. But offensive line is really good. Running backs are really good. Kurt Signetti right now probably sitting back in his lazy boy sipping some sort of drink i think he's pretty excited for this season because he's got exactly what he wants oh yeah this is this is if you if you ask kurt signetti what roster would you want he would say i want a good offensive line a quarterback that's not going to make mistakes and a few running backs that are all monsters and that's what they've got (laughs) that's exactly what they've got if you said would you rather pass it 50 times or run it 50 times? I think Kurt Signetti would say whatever it takes to win. But in the back of his mind, he'd be thinking 50 runs. I mean, they were down two possessions in the national championship game at North Dakota State and ran a wildcat package with Gage Maloney. <laughs> like, I think, I think we know what they like. I mean, it's insane, man. Like, they just love running the ball. Palmer, they would go to the Maloney-Palmer thing, so I wouldn't be shocked if that's a package at some point this year. Short yardage, if you're going up against, like, Robert Morris and you see they line up with Gage Maloney and Latrell Palmer for a Wildcat package, I think he might just, like, move out of the way. I don't, I don't know if you'd want to tackle them. So they've got options in terms of running the ball, which is exciting. And I think for them, you know, time of possession is maybe a little bit of an overrated stat at times. But I think time of I – think, I think sometimes, hell yeah. But time of possession can certainly be valuable. Um, it's not the end-all, be-all. But I think if you can – control the clock a little bit especially against better teams um that keeps jmu's defense off the field i think the defense at least in my opinion has more question marks than the offense does that was a perfect segue wow you're really getting the hang of this whole Thanks, podcast man. thing <laughs> what like two years in <laughs> three this is season great three. work oh season three all right there you go yeah there three. are a lot of question marks with this um 
with this defense. I mean, what? Looking at my spreadsheet that I put together, um, that I'm very proud of, that I put together while watching Georgetown Creighton last night, <laughs> the the positions that are hit the hardest in terms of what they lost is every single one. Every oh. position group lost more than 50% of their production from last season. They lost 60% of, of tackles and linebackers, 70% on the D-line. That's a lot to do with DACA and Adiba Tariwa and Rondell Carter all leaving. And then they lost 57.3 in defensive backs, which is a big thing to do with Rashad Robinson leaving. I think Wesley McCormick, Adam Smith was a team leader in tackles and he left. So big time there. Um, they did lose. This one's kind of big 23% of special teams tackles three, they had 13 special teams, like strictly special team tackles. Just a fun fact. But, yeah, this defense has hit hard. They lost a lot of production. And it's a lot of guys kind of like the wide receiver group where we've been kind of hyping them up for a few years. We, we have some – we're excited for them. We've been watching them kind of grow within the system. I think a lot of them are Houston guys in all honesty. But it's a lot of potential on the defense. There's Mike Green who should be great. Yeah. Um, there's a few linebackers that should be good. Mateo Jackson. Is that his yeah. name? Mateo Jackson's one in there, and it sounded like I'm again, I'm I'm really stealing from the Jamie Sports Vlog guys here. But um it sounded like Diamante Tucker Dorsey yeah. and um Kelvin, what is it, Azonima? I think it is. Yeah. Uh those will be like the linebacker starters with Jackson working in and, and things like that, which isn't a surprise, I don't think at all. And they and and yeah, those are the three kind of the underclassmen linebackers that uh, that that combined for thirty percent of the tackles last season. Wayne Davis too; uh, he's kind of that spur. I think he's listed as a linebacker. I think they moved him. Back they're moving fifteenth season, so that'll be fun to watch. Yes, and they're sliding him to safety, so he's moving away from the spur, putting him at safety, which is where he played at Ohio State. I guess that is. I guess that is beneficial though, because there is like you just lost so much in terms of safety help and that this player that is fantastic get him on the field and I, I think Wayne Davis plays best when he's around the ball if you put him at kind of like that Earl Thomas Tyron Matthew type of roaming safety I think he can I think he might be a sleeper for the uh, Buck Buchanan award he's got a chance to really be good I'm excited about him they still have MJ Hampton who can play back there they need him to Q reads another uh, youngster who I think is pretty talented you look at corner, they got some good players with Taurus Carroll, who's now experienced. He's listed as a senior. Feels like he's been around for a whole hell of a lot while. Uh, Jamari Currents is another guy, Richard sophomore. And then I believe, I want to say Greg Ross, the redshirt senior transfer from North Carolina, I think is eligible immediately. I could be wrong. I think that's right, though. He's from transfer from where? North Carolina. Redshirt yeah. senior corner, who I think can play yeah. right away. If you transfer down, you're, tra you're eligible right away. I think you're able to, even if you play in the, I don't think he played in the spring, but anyway, <laughs> I think you mean the fall. Down. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, he better play in the spring. We need him. No, I think he'll play. So that will help. And then Wesley McCormick is the other guy who's, who's been around a while and done some really nice things. So the defensive line, I'm actually very excited about. Well, it they seems are, like every other day though, a D line is tearing his ACL. They don't have Ukwu and Jalen green for the spring with the injuries, which were two expected to be huge. Continue. Yes, but they moved Mike Green to D end, which I'm super thrilled about. I think that's a gonna be six cool. three two eighty five D end. That is going to be if he produces, that is NFL talent. 
Yeah, and he also is going to look like a child next to uh, <laughs> the UCF transfer they got, 6'7", 305 defensive tackle. I think he's going to play right in the middle and be expected to be a star. They got the Minnesota transfer, whose name I would butcher. I also think I need to get the give, UCF give it transfer's me. name down. Try I it. Can't, I can't. Try it. No. Try the Minnesota. <laughs> you try it, then I try it. Come on. Okay, all right. Do you have it pulled up? Yeah. Okay. Uh, here we go. Abi Nawabuku Onkunji. Abi Nawabuku Akanji. Yeah, that's how I would that's pronounce something it. Something like that, right? All right, we'll have to look up the actual pronunciation. But I'm excited Ch- for this. Cholua. Cholua. That's definitely wrong. <laughs> that sounds like Cholua. <laughs> we'll figure these out. But both these guys, they've got the – I mean, the D-line's pretty exciting, right? You've got Mike Green, realistically – then you've possibly got this Minnesota transfer, UCF transfer. They also had the Temple transfer, Antonio Colclaw. Colclaw? Colclaw? God. <laughs> Why can't they have like a Steve Smith in the D-line, man? <laughs> no. Um, but I think he'll be really good. So you got three, like, Temple's not a power five, but it's like, you know, it's a P6, dude, American Athletic Conference. So uh, they got some guys. And then I think um, Tony Thurston has a chance to play as well, from what I was hearing. Yeah, Tony Thurston right. had some uh... – had some production last season. I don't know if that was necessarily on special teams because they don't list how they got the tackle, but he, he yeah. contributed to a few tackles last season. He's expected to be thrown in. So it's kind of crazy, but even with, you know, maybe two of their best defensive ends out for the spring, I still feel really confident in the defensive line. Yeah. I, th- I think the defensive line is, I don't really have, like they lost a lot of production, but they also, the reason Mike Green didn't play all that often last year. Well, he did play often, but like his stats weren't atrociously amazing. It was because he was playing with John Daka and Rondell Carter and Adiba Tariwa, like these just monsters of men and just one man wrecking crews. So I think Mike Green and the rest of the D line will step up and, and be phenomenal for JMU. I really have questions on the defensive backs though, because there were times last season completely off topic here it, it feels weird when i say last season right yeah it's it's, been, it's you know we were like seven years old the last time they played i know football. it's actually crazy but this the defensive backs really worry me even with rashad robinson who is an all-american they didn't look great the defensive backs they would get burned in some games i remember the elon game to us last season elon was dropping everything but they were getting just absolutely burned on the corners they looked like burnt pancakes because they were getting burned so hot because the wide receivers of Elon were so hot. It was a terrible analogy. And don't oh, I loved it. I think <laughs> I roll it back. <laughs> no, but like, but looking at it, there's Taurus Carroll who you would think through the last 15 years of work between last season and today, right. Would have grown into it. But I mean, outside of that, Wayne Davis is great, but I don't know how great he is in necessarily coverage. Greg Ross the transfer you would hope is good. Wesley McCormick, McCormick and Taurus Carroll, you imagine are going to be CB1, CB2, but they both had flashes of greatness and flashes of not so greatness. I just have a lot of questions. The defensive backs, yeah. I hope, shut me up quickly. And well, they won't be able to because they play two cupcakes right off the jump. But I hope <laughs> they right. shut me up within conference play. My biggest concern is not that those guys can go out there and play well, especially if the D line lives up to what I think it could be, where it's like creating a little bit of havoc. I think that'll make it a little easier on them. It's kind of like last season, though, right? Our secondary was terrible, but the D line was so good that it masked a masked lot. Masked a little bit of that. 
And the sec- secondary last year, one of the big issues, and you actually highlighted this in a really cool piece after the Stony Brook game, is like play action. They would like lose their minds, dude. They would bite real hard and get crushed deep. So I'm interested to see how that goes. But my main thing is I think these guys, with the amount of practice time, all those things, I think they have a chance to be good. But just from watching the fall at the FBS level, like between injuries and COVID, I don't know if you can expect to have your full starting group every week. So I think it's going to be like, what do they have depth wise? Like if those, you know, initial starters don't play well or, or get a little dinged up or, you know, test positive for COVID and miss two weeks or a contact trace and miss two weeks or whatever it is, you know, are they going to be able to plug and play other guys and, and actually have success with it? I mean, at one point last year, they moved um, the running back, who Austin Douglas, they ended up moving him to defensive back. Um, he's back at running back now, but like they had him there because they were sort of struggling with depth and things like that. Are they going to be able to get through the spring with these guys, you know, healthy and what's the depth like? Yeah. And you look at it, can Xavier Coakley, a freshman step up in a game and be cornerback too? Like if, if Taurus Carroll go, or even if Taurus Carroll and, and McCormick go out, can Chase Lundy and Xavier Coakley step up and provide adequate coverage? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. <laughs> this is my favorite. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's like other positions. I think I can, I know some of the names, um, some of the deeper names and some of these youngsters at corner. I don't know as well. And we haven't seen them really play as much. So you look at other spots, you're like, oh yeah, I'm familiar with, with that name and what that guy's done. So they have maybe more depth at other positions and um, maybe more returning guys who can dominate. So I'm interested to see what they can do. I don't think they're going to be like bad, but I think for this championship caliber roster, if you're looking at a potential weak spot or question of concern entering the season, probably the defense as a whole, and then more specifically, probably the secondary. Yeah. Secondary was a problem last time. You know what else was a problem in that Stony Brook game that you brought up and it was kind of a problem throughout last season? Linebackers. Conservative play call. Oh. <laughs> yes, linebackers, they don't have a ton of depth at linebacker right now. That's another one to look out for. That's number two on the how worried should I be list. Um, Moving into broad stuff is how you put it. Mm -hmm. What are your expectations? What makes a successful season this year? And if you're listening, let us know on Twitter at JMU Sports News. Let us know what you guys think would make for a successful season. Bennett? Just staying healthy and and competing as hard as they can and, and enjoying themselves. No, I mean, that's actually a huge part this year is like, can you just get through it and have fun and enjoy yourselves and, and all that stuff? Regular season, I think if you're looking at successful, uh, seven and one at least, I'll, I'll work in a potential loss for maybe they're depleted with COVID, maybe they just have a bad game, whatever. If you lose a conference game, not the end of the world, you're playing the team twice anyway. Um, I think eight and oh is kind of what people are expecting, but I think seven and one is not the end of the world. And then in terms of playoffs, like I'd love to see them get to at least the semifinals. Um, but again, it, it depends so much on COVID. But for a successful season, I want to see them getting to a point where they enter the fall and I expect them to win the national championship, which is kind of a, a strange answer. But with everything going on this year, I'd like them to have a successful spring where they you know, win probably seven regular season games, maybe the eight, and then they go into the playoffs, perform well, win a game or two at least, and then have a chance going into the fall to really build on it. Okay, so you're kind of using this as more like you want to have – Springboard. Yeah. You, you hope they have a good growing season. Yes. Okay. I think um, what makes this a successful season, and it's kind of the, the dual-edged sword of being a JMU Duke, 
it's a national championship. I mean, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> Bit take. I think that's what, that, that's what makes it, anything less than that is a not successful season. That's kind of my point with it. I mean, there's nothing really much. I mean, that's what JMU has strived, striven, striven. What if they're undefeated going into the championship like last year? They lose on a goal line stand in North Dakota State. That's assuming that I thought last season was a a successful season. Do you not think it was? No, a national championship. You don't think it was a successful season? If their end goal was to win the national championship, then it was not successful. (laughs) You can't look me in the face and say, Kurt Signetti and company, their goal was to make it to the national championship. In that case, I will call it a successful season. From a fan's point of view, it was fun, and I enjoyed every moment of it. And to me, that's successful. But I know for a fact that that was not a successful season. I think they wanted to win a national championship for them to win a conference title make it to the national championship and lose to North Dakota state. They wanted more. Of course. I still think Kurt Signey will take that. I think he's probably like, he won't say that. I don't think he would admit that. I think JMU internally, Jeff Bourne's not saying that. I don't think they can get mad. They went on the trip to Frisco. Their fans go to Frisco. They buy their ticket allotments. I think they take that. That was a very um, money driven answer, <laughs> but I mean, I, I guess, but this season, if this season they're sitting at, I'm mad that you answered the way you did because my answer was my question to you was kind of going to be the opposite of what your question was to me. If you said they're undefeated and they lose on a goal line stand in North Dakota state, my question was going to be, they have a, a lackluster regular season sneak into the playoffs, but win the national championship. Do you still consider that a win? Oh yeah. They win the national title. Yeah. For sure. But I think, I guess, I I guess think, I'm a little more tough on them where I'm saying national, which I think is fair. I think it's fair, and I think if it was a spring where they didn't have COVID being a factor, I would probably be in the same boat. I think I'm willing, at least as a fan, I could easily rationalize, even if they play badly and COVID isn't that big of a deal for them, I would still rationalize a a subpar mediocre season and be like, you know what, it's just crazy, and just throw it out and then hope that they sort of back it up in the fall. But I think going off the last time – I guess I'm just skeptical because we hyped him up as like the greatest team on turf that one year, Ben DiNucci's first season. And then they laid an egg the rest of the year. And I was like, Oh, so I think for me, like, I I think that would be unsuccessful. Like the second round Colgate loss, big time unsuccessful. But I think if they can get to like the semifinals, I still think that's really good and successful. I I don't, I'm maybe it's because I am a little bit, uh, because you're Lions fans and you expect losing. <laughs> I don't want to say not as high, but I don't like a lot of fans I think are with you and, and maybe rightfully so and expect national championships. Like that's, if you get that great, if you didn't like it, it's still a good year, but it's not, you didn't reach the end goal for me. It's like, if they can be in the mix every year, like a top four team, that's pretty darn good. Well, yeah, but JMU has, has built this program to be a national championship contender year in and year out and a national championship winner Granted, they've only won one in the last four years. They've set the standard but of they, losing but the No, natty. they honestly, like, I know you're saying that sarcastically, but, like, they have. <laughs> they that is have. what they've built this, their brand as. And so, for me as a fan, that's what I expect. But, like, like you said, if, if they make it there and, like, it was a fun season, it was successful, I will consider that successful. But I know from a team perspective – and maybe behind the scenes, Jeff Bourne's like, okay, if we just sell our ticket allotment and we make it to Frisco, like, that's good. 
and Signetti probably is too. Like we made it to Frisco. We won a CA championship in my first season, like in the back of his head, he's probably like, this is a great foundation we have laid, but outwardly that is a failure of a season. The only way to be successful. And like I said, to start, it's the double-edged sword of being JMU. You got to make it to the national championship and you have to win it. Anything else is less, but you have such an, an invigorated fan base with it that, they're all all in on it, but they're going to be a little critical of you when you don't win. That's fair. I think I enjoy the the runs to the title or close to it. I think that from my fan perspective, yeah, I, those I'll, are fun. I'll take that. But yeah, I think I'll agree a little more there that Signetti, I think probably agrees that it, it did lay a foundation, but yeah, you're probably right that he, you know, is going to say, Hey, he's got the Saban background a little bit where he wants to win every national championship. I think Jeff Bourne's excited that his program's good. Like, I don't think Jeff Bourne lost sleep over them losing. That's, <laughs> I don't think I don't, Jeff, you know, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think Signetti did. I'll say that. I think Signetti dreams of that goal. I think he wakes yeah. up in night sweats probably every four months of, why did I throw it? No, I, I think he probably is like, God, I should have went to that Wildcat package in the first quarter. What he should be doing is waking up every morning at 4 a.m. in, in cold sweats wondering why he didn't use a quarterback spy on Trey Lance, but well, that's a, neither here nor there. He'd be waking up every morning and saying, why did I send my D lineman straight up instead of cutting all right, we'll, we'll get out. Anyway, but I'll give him some slack this year. I, w- I Here's what I will say. I kind of think, not that they need to, my expectations, I'll be a little disappointed if they don't win a national championship between the spring and the fall. Okay. Like one I, of those I accept seasons. that. Before we, before we wrap it up yes. with our, our big finish, a quick pick a – Oh, yes. Breakout player and pick an MVP. Give me those two. You can back it up if you want to. If not, that's perfectly fine. But give me a breakout player. Give me an MVP. I had my breakout yesterday. Now I can't remember who I wanted to pick. Oh, gosh. What a tough question. I think Devin Ravenel was my breakout player. Okay. Or Cheatham. It was between Cheatham and Ravenel. I think Cheatham, Cheatham a breakout player when he has 16 catches on his career and eight of them are touchdowns. Uh, 15 for five. <laughs> if he has 15 catches in his career and he doubles his career, he had one catch last season. So that's, that should be my pick because that's an easy, like, sell. Like, if he catches two balls, I'm going to be like, he broke out, dude. <laughs> 50% increase in production. I'll say, I'll say Devin Ravenel. I think he has a chance to, to do some really nice things on the outside receiver. I will take him. My MVP, I think it's going to be Mike Green. I think Mike Green's going to really kill some people from the outside on defensive right. line. Just because I would pick a running back, I just – I don't know. Like, they just use all the running backs so much that, that I'll go with Mike Green. Yeah, so I'm going to start with my MVP first. It was originally going to be Latrell Palmer. I put that in our Google Docs outline. But, but then as we did this episode and as I was thinking about it today, the running back just won't get enough opportunity to break out. Even if they're averaging 10 yards a carry, they might only have five carries a game. <laughs> and even then, I can't pick a 50 yards per game running back as MVP. So I'm going to go defense too. I'm going to go Wayne Davis. I think, Ooh, I think that I safety that. spot is really going to help him where he's not up in the line of scrimmage in that spur position as much, and he can kind of roam around and play the ball. I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I might break out player. Ooh. I'm going to go Solomon Van Horse. If he plays a lot in the slot, and if he plays a lot in, like, packages where they try to get him the ball in space, I think he can put up a lot of numbers. I think you might see him on those weird jet jet sweeps where the pass is forward, so it's technically a pass and a reception. I think he might be getting a lot of those. Kind of will be like a – that version of Brandon Polk that we saw a lot of last season. Very interested by both those selections. And I want to talk quickly about Wayne Davis. You had mentioned earlier, maybe a Buck Buchanan kind of candidate. Do you think that he can sort of benefit from being the, 
the alpha or the leader in the secondary where maybe the the D-line creates some some off-balance throws and sort of he's the one who benefits from that kind of thing? 100%. I really – like, I've been high on Wayne Davis since he got to JMU, as probably most JMU fans did. You see this Ohio State kid who was a, like, Gatorade player of the year or something like that. Like, great high school career, went to Ohio State and played fairly well and then, tr- like, all of a sudden transfers back home to JMU. I think I think for a while – his position, his natural position was taken up with other guys who were pretty good and Adam Smith and what Jordan Brown and Raven, like there's just been a lot of good talent in the defensive back in the secondary. And so he was kind of like the coaching staff knew he was great, knew he's a player that's not going to come through Jamie all that often. So you have to get him on the field and he made interceptions. He made plays from the spur position, but I don't think that was his natural position. I don't think he plays as well as close to the line of scrimmage where things are a little bit clogged up because real quick, let me see his, his stats. Oh, he's listed as a linebacker still. Classic smoke screen by Signet. Guy is playing chess. Where is he? Can't, there he is. Oh, he's okay. He's listed as a safety. Never mind. My bad. <laughs> um, Classic smoke screen. <laughs> But he's 5'10", 195. So, like, if an offensive lineman or a tight end or a bigger tight end get it, get their hands on him, mm-hmm. he doesn't make as much as an impact. And floating around as a safety, I think I really like him as that Tyron Matthew, Earl Thomas kind of center fielder who's roaming around the back who can come up and play in the box, maybe like a little Jamal Adams type. Um, I'm naming all the great seat. Maybe a little Cam Chancellor in him too. Who knows? We got to give him a nickname. Let's call him the – I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> if anyone has suggestions, let us know. If you've made it to this point in the podcast, congratulations. As well. Okay, so last but not least, I guess I'll probably put this out as a little <laughs> 20-minute thing too so people don't have to make it to the end of the podcast to hear the most stimulating <laughs> part of it. Yeah. Position groups in order of confidence okay. level. You hit me, and then I'll say mine, and then we'll debate. Punter, kicker. And then we go. <laughs> okay, that doesn't All right, in that, t- in that case. I love Harry O'Kelly. I love Ethan Radke. So I'll start with them. But then now that you're asking, I'll go running back, offensive line, defensive line, wide receiver, quarterback, linebacker, defensive backs. Okay, run that by me one more time. I was not paying attention. Number one, running back. Number two, offensive line. Number three, defensive line. Number four, a long snapper. No, I'm just kidding. Wide receiver. Number five. I do like what they got at long snapper. Number five, quarterback. Number six, linebacker. Number seven, defensive back. So, if I'm looking at this correctly, we have one, two, three similar ones. Really? Yeah. All you right, hit me. Hit me with what you got. Running back. So, we agree. Number one. Offensive line. So, so we, we agree. agree. Okay. Quarterback. You don't agree. Defensive line. Pretty close. Defensive back. Linebacker. Wide receiver tight end. That's just absurd. All right, hit me. Come on, hit me. <laughs> All right, so here's my thing. We just talked about how the defensive backs were the <laughs> biggest question mark, and now you're no, talking. We said we the biggest question mark on the defense. You think, okay, okay. Well, here's my thing. The defensive backs, I do think Wayne Davis getting shifted in there helps. I still have some questions about how consistent they'll be and how deep they are. Uh, running back, we agreed on. I think they're 
right? They've got like six guys. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's, they're, that's they're fine. That's my that's number your... one. At, that that is the number one for a reason. And OL is kind of the running back. OL is one A one B. Yes, both really good, really deep defensive line. I had at three. You had them at four. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Mainly because so because think... there's there's Mike Green, and then there's injury, injury, and then there's transfer, transfer. So it's like yeah. one known commodity who's going to okay. be great, and then the rest is like you assume will be great. Totally fair. And when I look through the roster. Uh, I would say about every single time I forget about Uku and uh, Jalen Green's knee. Yeah. And then I have to like, oh my God, look like, at there should be There should be something here on the roster that tells me. Um, anyway, but I think they'll be up there. They'll be good. I have got wide receiver at four because I think they got some sneaky depth with Bracey and, and Dean and then, you know, Thornton, I think it was the, the VMI transfer. So they've added some guys in there. I think it'll be good. I like the tight ends. Oh, we put wide receivers and tight ends as the same group for those. Yeah. Curious why we weren't talking about the tight ends. I know we have a lot of tight end listeners. Um, but we've got them. I think they're good. I think they're going to be good, and I'm I'm not that worried about them. Yeah, this is our biggest point of contention. Yes. Why do you hate the wide receivers? You put it like that. <laughs> I the wide receivers give me the most pause, more than defensive backs, because there's no known commodity there. So, like defensive backs, you have Wayne Davis, you have MJ Hampton, Torres Carroll, Wesley McCormick. The problem isn't the known commodities there. It's the backups. It's the depth. D-line, there's one fantastic known commodity. The rest is question marks that have potential. Really, every position is like that for me. There's a known commodity, and the rest are potential. The wide receivers are all potential. Scott Bracey might be the next Brandon Polk, the the next Terrence Alls. Hopefully, he doesn't drop it on the five-yard line in the national championship to win the game. Broken finger. But there's no known. Like, there is nothing that I can point to on the receiving core and say that is going to be the go to receiver. And on top of that, I don't think the wide receivers are going to have that much of an end tight ends. Sorry that I keep leaving them out, except Clayton Cheatham will catch 10 passes this season for seven touchdowns. Um, <laughs> with a play sounds action like tight end. Sounds seam. like an impact to me. <laughs> play action tight end seam. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, I just don't have my – I don't have as much faith in them. Like, if, if the game – if we're down 20 points and we need to pass the ball to win, I'm not convinced we're winning that game. <laughs> that, is, that is putting my guys in an unfair hole. If they're down 20, well, <laughs> yeah, they're probably not Okay, if back. they're down 14 – I think – If they're down 14 with 10 minutes left and you have to pass the ball to win the game – I don't trust the wide receivers to do it. I don't. When's the last time they were able to actually complete that kind of cut? Like, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, <laughs> but I don't think it's the receiver's fault. I think it's that, like, the last, like, six years they built this run-first program that never gets down. And when it does get down, I'm like, well, that's a loss. And a lot of the times it is. Like, they, like last year I had no faith they were going to complete the comeback against North Dakota State, and I was actually kind of shocked how close they got. Like, the fact that they were at the goal line with a chance to tie was stunning to me because I had written them off when they went to the wildcat package i had written them off and i had ordered a pitcher of beer and i was drinking away my sorrows and then next thing i know i'm half blackout looking up at the screen and i'm like are we on the goal line and then they threw an interception because they knew what the play was but that's okay and then Um, i cried and then i was watching seattle seahawks replays of super bowl 49 (laughs) sad well i think that um your points are totally fair your points are totally fair I just think I've got a lot of belief that they can get things done. I think that even though they aren't necessarily known, I think Scott Brace is going to be really good. I don't think Polk was known 
when he arrived. And he yeah, put but together Stapleton a- was. Sure, sure. But I think Dean's been pretty darn good. I think Ravenel's shown some flashes. So they, they're not as well-known as they were in years past, but I think there's enough talent there that they're going to work out and be good. And, like, Thornton's a guy that, I mean, he caught, like, 90 passes during his, his most yeah, recent. VMI. It's an FCS team. Yeah, so is J- – okay, never mind. Okay, but here's the thing, too, that I'm – like, my, another reason I put them last. I do have more faith in the linebackers. I have more faith in the defensive backs. I have more faith in the defensive line, in the QBs, in the OL, in the running backs. That's why they're last. It's not because I hate them. It's because I have more faith in everyone else. I don't have as much faith in the defensive backs. I think they have a chance – like, the depth is a concern. But when you don't have at- as much faith in the QBs and linebackers. That's insane. That's not insane. They have two, they've got two linebackers that I think are like, all right, those are the starters. And then after that, everything is a question mark at linebacker. Linebacker depth is, oh boy, they are thin. When was the last time they had good linebacker depth though? I don't know, like last year, (laughs) two years ago. They had like the guys they had now were behind, you know, what was it? Holloway and and Landon Ward were pretty good. Whoever was behind them, I thought was, was respectable. Um, but uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know. I think that I don't have a ton of depth. I mean, like you known commodities, like Cole Johnson's sort of a known commodity. Dude started one game his entire career. Yeah, but I have faith. <laughs> I, have a, a I have a belief. That's the, that's the same as my receiver argument. So I don't know. I think you can kind of go back and forth after the first three or four position groups, which yeah. were like pretty much in agreement. And then Defensive backs, I just want to see more. I want to see consistency because last year they did get a little bit – they got torched a little bit. Yeah, but it was more on the linebackers than it was the defensive backs. Yeah. 100% was. <laughs> That's why I've got the linebackers at six. <laughs> Play action sucked the linebackers up and would leave the secondary exposed over the middle. But you're telling me you've got more faith in those returning linebackers who weren't even starters than you do in the receivers? Yes. Mm, mm, okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add? No, I think they're going to be good. So we did our little debate. Like, I think every position group is pretty solid. And they've got yeah, I, I, think, I think this team is a top four seed, a top four team in the nation. I think barring any COVID outbreaks, barring any major terrible injuries, this team will probably go 7-1, 8-0. Um, 8-0 if they stay healthy and there's no COVID outbreaks. If there's a COVID outbreak, then maybe 7-1, and 6-2. and two. They should be a national championship contender. Um, but it is a COVID season, so there are a lot of question marks. It should be fun. And, and I mean, if they've got some of it, too, it's going to be tough with the, all the rivalries. Obviously, you got, you got Richmond twice. But then, like, Moorhead State and Robert Morris, like, they go back a long way with JMU. And that history of head-to-head battles, I think Brian Shore rushed for, like, 100 yards and three touchdowns against Moorhead State. So Last time we played Robert Morris was Hurricane Irene. Oh, yeah, they moved that game to a Thursday. Or Florence. I don't, I don't remember the name. I'm impressed you do. Wow. What was it? I it was have no idea. Glenda? I know. Oh, you still went there. I still didn't go there. So you yeah, I was, I was sidelined for that season. So, so you uh, were. But they won that one 73 to 7. Yeah, a casual 73 to 7. And then the hurricane really didn't happen. That was part of the, part of the Jimmy Moreland pick six streak, I think. It was. Cole Johnson, five passes, eight at. <laughs> five completions on eight attempts for 83 yards against Robert Morris. Dude, they've got game film on Cole. Put the what Dukes on upset alert. The same. Upset alert. Alert. All right. Anything else you need to add? Because I think I'm all done after this one hour podcast. I'm a little tired after that uh, football preview. 
yeah, I mean, you know, I work hard on my stamina to make sure that, that I'm not fatigued and then I'll continue. I'm just kidding. Yeah, this was a lot of stuff. I'm excited. I still have not processed the fact that they're playing football in, you know, 10 days. I don't think I ever will until they're on, even when they're on the field, they probably won't process it. I'm sure I'll have to work a different game. So I don't know how much I'll watch live the entire season, to be honest with you. It's, I'm still in basketball mode. And remember that debate, this is how I'll wrap it up. Remember that debate where I said spring football would be great for the FCS? I'm also anti that now. I'm, that was wrong. That was the wrong take. Yes. That was a very wrong take. We really struggled with that. Now that we've seen all these other sports in action at the same time, you can't, the idea that it would actually have a stage and actually sort of separate itself is not totally true. I forget, every year this happens, I forget how much college basketball means to me and like the country outside of March. Like, yeah, FCS fans care about basketball because if you're an FCS fan, you probably love sports. And you probably love college basketball. A lot of these FCS teams, I mean, like, let's say you go to Villanova, right? You're not a football guy, (laughs) realistically. They go to Gonzaga. Yeah, Gonzaga's football team. They're, I don't know if they have one. No, but a lot of the, even like, I mean, you look at the teams in the conference, um, Richmond at least. Richmond's obviously not in the CA for basketball, but they got a pretty good basketball program. Rhode Island. Yeah, Rhode Island. Who else we got? I don't know. Most of them aren't good at anything. Albany. So. <laughs> William and Mary, who's been to the NCAA tournament zero times in the history of the program. Yeah, a lot of the football schools are either A10 or like NEC or... Uh... What's, in, what's Stony Brook in? Uh, like really American st- East. American yeah, East. American East. Yeah, yeah. I only know this because I have to find their scores on like the ESPN page when I'm betting on them. <laughs> Degenerate. <laughs> Been fading Stony Brook a lot lately. <laughs> All right. For that, remember fade Tennessee, fade Stony Brook apparently. And for Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Football is almost here. And men's basketball is good. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.